I'm going to ask Joe Stringer to come up and introduce our speaker, Michael Piccolano. All right, we have a we have a treat today. Michael Aquilano is the director of the South Carolina Catholic Conference, which is actually the lobbying arm of the Catholic Church here in South Carolina. But we're having a conversation, and Michael was saying, you know, there's just too much politics in things, and there's people get divided with politics. I wish people wouldn't talk to me about politics, even though that's his job. So, uh, but so it'll, it'll be a real treat to hear a lobbyist who isn't trying to twist our arm on something. So. But uh, just a, a little introduction, uh, Michael Aquilano, um, got his uh, degree in corporate finance at uh, Bentley University in Boston. So he's another one of us Yankees coming down here. <laughs> but by way, interestingly, of Paris, France, where he got an international finance degree, and then he decided to take those two high degrees and go to Ghana and do something with chickens. I'm not sure what. <laughs> uh, after that, he came here and, and married his wife, Hope. Um, they have two children. Um, these are, these are good, we love Catholic children, Catholic names here. Um, you know, and, and so his children are Loretta Rose, beautiful name, and Giorgio Francis. <laughs> and uh, and he, he might okay. share a little bit about Giorgio in his talk if, if he gets a couple minutes. Uh, but Giorgio is, Giorgio is the new one, only two months old, right? That's Six Loretta. Months. That's Loretta. That's Loretta is only six weeks old, so uh, a brand new father. He's not sleeping very well, so be <laughs> kind to him. Michael Aquilano. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. And yes, I don't like talking politics, and that is my full-time job. I didn't realize that was going to come up, but it's totally true. Don't tell the bishop. <laughs> Let's keep that between us. Um, I am elated to be here today because there are very few times, is this working? It's not. Okay, I'll just stick here. Uh, there are very few times that I get a chance to speak before a group of men that are engaged in their faith and that are strong because you chose to come here today, you prayed, and those are things that a lot of young men these days don't do. I can look around at my peer group and I doubt we could get this many people in one room, and it's unfortunate, but we're lucky to have leaders like you in the parishes and in the churches in this state, um, in this community, because we need you. Strong families need strong fathers. So I'm going to give you some brief background on me, because it kind of dictates and kind of shows you why I am where I am. Um, my parents um, have known each other since they were 13 years old, and they both have very unique pro-life stories, uh, which kind of formed me as a young man. Uh, my mother was born to an unwed mother um, and was adopted out by a family, a Catholic family, who took in five other adopted children in six years. So they went from no kids to five kids in six years, all adopted. And uh, she was born in 1962, so Roe v. Wade hadn't been passed at the time, so we're lucky mom was, uh, you know, was able to be born. There was no conflict there. My father, however, was born into a loving home, and his his mother um, was knocked out and was not aware when he was born. His father was uh, an executive at IBM and he wasn't around. And so my father was born deformed and uh, grandma wasn't aware that he was so deformed and the doctors didn't want to operate so they put him in a broom closet. And my grandfather showed up about 12 hours later and said, oh, I'm so excited. My wife had a baby. And the baby was in a broom closet. My grandfather had to take out a second mortgage on his home 
and go hospital to hospital to find doctors to do surgeries. 36 surgeries later, my father is a successful business owner, retired three times, he's only 53. <laughs> and uh, so both of them met each other, knew that the importance of life um, and how sacred life is is extremely important. They got married very young, started their first crisis pregnancy center at 24 and 25 years old. And I was born around that time, and I spent most of my life, most of my young life, um, in those centers. They have five in New York and three in Africa. And my family's mission has been to walk with women and men, especially the men, in those situations to make sure that those people are cared for, they know they're loved. So after I left the household, I went to college, and I actually had a full scholarship, had a great time, you know, felt very blessed, right? God is in my life. Had a great job lined up, just under six figures for a 22-year-old. I was like, this is great. Uh, in Boston, that doesn't buy much, though, so I guess I should clarify that. But <laughs> nevertheless, I was excited. But I realized I wasn't fulfilled. So I, I, I knew there was more out there. I knew I, there was more to be had. So I ended up going to Africa and worked in microfinancing with chickens. Uh, the European Union had subsidized the poultry industry, and so chicken prices had dropped so much that the local farmers couldn't sell their chickens. Long story. So I was there for a while. And as I was in Africa going around several different areas, um, I witnessed um, the promotion of abortion and other issues in local villages. So I got upset, and I came back, and I went to law school. And I was very convicted to ensure that people were not lied to because they were being lied to, and I was not okay with that. So uh, I came to South Carolina, had five other job offers after law school, and decided to come here because I thought this state was a place where the church was still strong, and there was lots of ground to be had. Um, and so I've greatly enjoyed my time here, and what I've noticed greatly is that the churches here are very unique communities. I go around to all the Catholic churches. We have 116 across the state and they're all so very unique. Um, but something that draws us all together is our love of Christ and our love of God. And I think that the more we can bring people to those situations where they feel an encounter. So in my life, I saw Christ so many times as I was playing in the corner with my siblings when a young woman would come into my parents' crisis parent centers and their life would be changed. Um, I've gone home obviously many times since then and no matter where I am my parents run into people and they're like oh there's Johnny Johnny is the child of you know this couple that we helped years ago um, seeing the change and the lives impacted um, has an impact right and and showing those people that they have worth and value and dignity is so important um, when I was in Africa going around I saw Christ in the faces of the people that were starving because a government thought they were doing something good. They were decreasing the price of chicken for their local people, but they didn't recognize the fact that there were thousands of farmers starving and losing their, their businesses. So going there, we raised a ton of money. I went over with a, a Harvard professor and we started a microfinancing firm and there are now over 3,000 companies flowing from what we started there. Um, but I saw Christ in the face of those families who saw hope, right? We brought hope. Same thing we did with those young parents, those young moms, those young dads who thought they were in a crisis situation. We bring hope. And everything we do here in the room, and I recognize some faces, some lawyers, some doctors, um, we should be bringing hope 
in everything that we do. There's a program that I work with here in South Carolina that helps uh, special needs children go to a school um, of their choice. Not everyone can be helped in the public school system. We all know that. A special needs child sometimes needs some additional help. Um, and a quick story, uh, we started this program with eight kids three years ago in our Catholic schools. We're now over 900 that we've brought into our schools. So we went from eight kids in special needs programs in 34 schools to over 900 in three years. And it's because we saw those faces, we made a change, and we invested, and we made a difference. But a quick story, the first kid that received a scholarship is actually up in Anderson, and um, he has some issues. He's, I think he's nine years old now. But we had this ceremony with lots of important people, senators, lieutenant governor, um, really great the bishop was there. And so the bishop gets down, I don't know if anybody knows our bishop, but he's a short guy, short, plump guy from New York. And don't tell him I said that either. Um, <laughs> but he gets down like this, and he goes to shake his hand, the little kid's hand, and he ran into the bathroom. Gone, the whole day, this little seven-year-old kid had such social anxiety, had never been in a classroom yet. Never been in a classroom yet. We go back a year later, right? We had to carry on the ceremony without him. Very awkward, especially with politicians. I hope they aren't in your room, but you know, they've got, they need to be cared for and, and pet. Um, and the child was not there, so it was awkward. But went back a year later, he welcomed everybody with a handshake, like a nice young man would. But that's because he was no longer a number. He was no longer a number that received a federal, state, and local payout. He was a child, and he was a student, and he was being treated like an individual. And his life has forever changed. I can't believe, I was back there maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and again, the kid is on fire because he's an individual. This is not a transaction, a cash transaction. We don't get a ton of money because he's there, but it's not about the money. It's about him. It's about the hope we gave him and his parents who thought that his life was gonna be much different. So, um, I have a few, one last thing I wanna end with. I'm, I was told I only had 15 minutes, I'm 10 in. Um, <laughs> something that I think all of us in this room probably do on a regular basis is uh, evangelization. And I, and I don't know if that's a more Catholic term, right? Is that a Catholic term or do we know what that term is? Okay. Anglican, okay. More so, okay. <laughs> So the hope is that we, when we encounter people in the workplace, or we encounter people at church, or at mass, or at service, that we're helping them encounter Christ, or helping them on their path, providing hope to them. So I use my grandfather as an example, and I have permission to do this, so don't call him. Um, but my grandfather is someone who is extremely faithful. He has uh, always been a devout, devout Catholic. He's very engaged in his community but he has a tendency to drone on about why the church is correct for hours at a time without a break for anyone else to insert themselves. And I'm sure we can all think of who that may be in our family. Maybe it's ourselves. Maybe it's our, you know, spouse. But there's something to be said about that passion, right? That passion is necessary. You got to harness that. It's so important to have that passion. But I have seven tips for all of us to kind of go by when we talked about our faith because we have to talk about our faith and we have to talk about it more. We have to talk about it more. So first, be principled. A lot of times when we're talking about our faith, we forget about the why or the what. We feel like we have to water it down. Don't water it down. A man, Christ came down, died so that we could go to heaven. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Don't water down what we believe. 
Just don't say it for an hour and a half. <laughs> Two, we fight for people, not against things. And I know this is a lobbyist, right? And by the way, I'm not a registered lobbyist because churches are exempt. So if you want to hire a lobbyist, you don't have to register them. That's a good thing. It's a very good thing. So you fight for people, right? I fight for human trafficking victims. That's one huge issue we work on at the church. We are very engaged on that. Work with the Attorney General's office frequently. We fight for people, not against things, right? This is about the individual. Number three, get joyful, right? If we're going to talk about our faith, if you're going to try to convince your children who might not be on board, your spouse, your colleagues, the business partners you may have, be joyful about it. Again, what happened 2,000 years ago that has changed the trajectory of the world? Be joyful. Be excited about it. Number four, be the leader. And that, all of you in the room, I'm not even worried about that because I can tell by the way we're dressed, we're carrying ourselves. You're all carrying yourselves like you're leaders. But people need leaders, and they especially need strong fathers. So to those of you that are fathers in the room, there are statistics, and I don't have them with me, it just pops into my head, but it's over 60%. If a father goes to service or to mass every week, over 60% of the kids will follow suit. Now, if it's the mother, and this is nothing to get, my wife is a lovely person, but if it's the mother, hi, Sean, how are you? Um, if it's the mother, it's only 14%, okay? We must lead by example. We must be the leader. If we want the change in culture, which I'm sure you all do, if you're taking your Monday, or whatever today is, Tuesday, Wednesday, I don't even know. Whatever it is, if you're taking your one hour lunch to do this, you care. You care, there's a lot of other restaurants in town that probably serve food that you could, you could enjoy, but you're here today. So be the leader. Five, go where you're not welcome. This is hard, this is hard. And I'm gonna tell a quick story about it. We are very comfortable in our own spaces. We're always very comfortable in our spaces. I can speak to that. But my first three months as a, as a lobbyist for the Catholic Church, I'm at the State House, and there's someone, this is just a quick story. Remember, the State House lobby is smaller than here. It's probably half the room. And there's a woman bashing the Catholic Church. I don't know why. And mind you, I think I was 23 or 24 years old at the time, so I was like, whoa, <laughs> how do I respond to that? And she was saying all these heinous things about our schools that we only contour to certain people, all untrue. And so I decided to go up to her, shook her hand, introduced myself. We developed a friendship. Would you believe that she is a baptized Catholic now? My wife and I are her sponsor for her child, and she is the parish manager of one of the largest Catholic churches in Chicago now. That was four years ago. So I went where I wasn't welcome. I was not welcome in that conversation. <laughs> I can guarantee it. When I shook her hand, her eyes got wide and her jaw dropped. Go where you're not welcome. And we see this in our families, in our neighborhoods, and I'm sure in our businesses and our workplace. Don't be afraid to go there, right? Just be careful how you speak, right? And this is number six. Say it concisely, right? Don't go on like Grandpa Equilano, who I love so much. But it's two hours. We don't need that. I don't need it. He tries to convince me. I'm like, Grandpa, I'm the lobbyist for a Catholic church in South Carolina. I don't need, I do not need evangelization today. I am with you. I am with you. Um, but it doesn't change his mind. <laughs> I have to give this to him for his birthday, probably. Um, but say it concisely. Say it concisely. Twelve apostles created what we have today, right? That's incredible. Twelve. Did they spend hours and hours with one person and change their whole life? Say it concisely. Be open to them speaking to you. Have a conversation. Have a relationship. 
And the last one is seven, the old way isn't working. I think we all know that, right? Just because we've done something a certain way for the last 30 years, 100 years, or in the Catholic Church, you know, two, thousands of years, doesn't mean we should keep doing it. Doesn't mean we should keep doing it. So think different. So I share that with you today because we have a room full of leaders, a room full of strong men who have influence, and we can change a lot of things if we just focus on relationships, encountering Christ, and sharing that with other people. And that's all I have. Thank you, Michael. Did y'all hear him say something nice about you? Do you remember what he said? That you took the time, you dressed appropriately, you took the time, you came, you were here. I want to thank you for doing that. I just want to say thank you. I, I look out there and I see you guys, and many of you I see every time we meet, it seems like. And, and I just want to let you know I appreciate that. I'm amazed at, at how you respond, how you are faithful, how you come. Um, I, I, I pray that this thing we're doing here not only blesses your stomachs, but blesses your hearts and your minds as well. And Michael, thank you. You gave us something really very succinct and um, direct to think about today. I, I made those notes. Um, so I'm, not, I'm a preacher, but I'm not going to preach. I'm just going to say a couple things to you because we begin Lent next week, actually, Wednesday, next Wednesday. Valentine's Day is Ash Wednesday. And so that's going to be interesting to see how we navigate through that one. But um, don't give your wife ashes for uh, Valentine's Day. <clears throat> Get her to the ashes, but then on to something in addition. Um, I was thinking as you were speaking about something that, that has just over and over and over, it keeps coming back to me, that if you will go to the Gospels and read the first words out of Jesus' mouth, particularly Mark's Gospel, because it's the fullest statement, but uh, Mark 1.15, Jesus says, the time has come and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And what you were saying to us today was what Jesus was saying there. He was saying, think differently. That word repent literally means change the way you think. Stop thinking the old way. And the new way that Jesus brought us, you said it, is, let me get it here, fight for people. Be for people. Jesus came to say to the world, God loves you. God is for you. He knows the mess you're in. And he wants to help you get a new life and get out of that mess. So thank you for giving us these practical point-by-point -point tips about ways that you do that and for illustrating how you've seen that happen and done it. So um, I want to leave us with that thought that, that the, very, the, the first thing somebody says, Churchill, all those guys, the first thing Jesus says is repent 
Think a new way because God is coming in and doing something really amazing in this world for you. And of course, then he embodied that and died, took our sin to the grave with him, crucified it, and then burst out, broke out, opened up a whole new life. So, um, having said that, coming into Lent, thinking about all that again, going up toward Good Friday and Easter, next month, because we will be in Lent, we will not have a regular men's lunch in here. There will be a lunch here, and I, I invite all of you to come, but there's going to be a teaching given by one of the clergy here for Lent, and the topic for that teaching is the church as Christ's bride. So you're invited to come and have lunch here. Uh, we'll have a brief time of worship, sing, and then hear the about the church as Christ's bride. So please come if you are not already engaged in Lenten activities at your own church. You're, you're most welcome to be here with us. Thank you. Let me give us a benediction now. The Lord bless us and keep us and make his face to shine upon us. The face of God, the face of the one who loves us the most. The Lord keep us in his care as we go out and the Lord strengthen and use us for his good purpose. Amen.